Thank you for supporting our projects. If you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee, check out our Patreon channel. The guys and gals at gunwebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice at least once a month, and carry every day. Thank you for watching gunwebsites.com. All right, that's typically our exit uh, little thing there, but it worked as an intro today. So we're doing a, a bonus episode, I guess, of our uh, show to talk about a subject that's kind of interesting, something I've heard about recently and then uh, finally discovered. So I set this thing up a couple of weeks back, uh, questioning people who they thought would be good to invite to a show like this, to have a conversation like this one. Uh, so we did. We set this thing up and invited a bunch of people. We'll see if anybody shows up doing it on a Thursday evening, afternoon, depending, I guess, what's well, after. It's evening everywhere. On a early evening for our show. But on a uh, Thursday evening, we'll see if anybody shows up. Right now, Smeggy joined us from California. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. How's everyone doing today? So today we're going to be chatting about media coverage of the mass killers and realists, really, the from the angle of is the media coverage of mass killers a useful issue for the Second Amendment? Is that a good talking point? Is that something that we have potential for? So uh, we have a poll going for people that join us live to listen to the show. Uh, you can interact over on the YouTube side. Uh, the, one of the systems YouTube offers is a just a poll you can click on either. So the question is, is media? Is media coverage of mass killers a useful two-way issue or talking point? The, the, op, the options are yes, and it has much potential. Yes, it might have some potential. Not sure or no. Right now we've gotten majority no. Most people think that it has no potential. 43% uh, say that it might have some, and 14% are saying that it has much. So we'll see. Now we have a couple of articles, uh, well, an article and a video linked in the description of this video. The video is from Reason TV, and then the other thing is a document that the Reason TV uh, thing references. And that is some, I guess it's research from 2018 uh, from, from a thing called American Behavioral Scientist 2018, volume 62. And it talks about, uh, well, I'm going to read the preface of it here in a second, but its title is Media Coverage of Mass Killers, Content, Consequences, and Solutions. And then Reason TV, a YouTube channel, recently did an article and an in, or a, a video and an interview with the author of that um, research or that paper, scientific paper, I don't know what to call it technically. But... Uh, it, the thing is about 17 pages long. I read it and it takes about 30 minutes to read. The video is about 12 minutes long. The interview is about 12 minutes long. Uh, so we've got that uh, linked in the description as well. So if you have a chance to check out that stuff, be welcome to part of the company or be you're more than welcome to be part of the conversation uh, to contribute. We like to say we are live here. So we're watching the live comments, voting in the poll. But uh, Smeggy, you've read both the article and then watched the video. Um, I've got some points here. I don't know if you made any notes or anything, but uh, what I think I'm going to do, I was expecting to see more, have more people show up. So I would have been expecting to have more conversation. I don't know if this will work the same with just a couple of us, but um, as I mentioned, I got the title of it here in the link and everything. And then I've got the, oh, maybe a paragraph that they use as like a summary. 
then I've got a couple of bullet points and then I've got some uh, kind of talking points I guess so the bullet points are just like um, some quick things from the article that if you haven't read it would kind of get you up to speed with what I consider some of the things I would have highlighted from the article and uh, I think I might just whip through all that and then uh, we'll chat about it. That'll give some more time for people to show up in case uh, some of the people that have a link are realizing that out of nowhere, this is the time to show up. Um, otherwise, it'll be a short conversation. I don't really care. But uh, let's start off. So I think the premise or the, pre the, the preamble, whatever the hell you call it, beginning of it, it says, in recent years, major media organizations have wondered if their coverage of mass shooters had actually increases the risk of future attacks and ha have asked how their reporting could be improved. In response, 149 experts have called for the media to stop publishing the names and photos of mass killers, except during ongoing searches for escaped suspects, but continue reporting the other details of these crimes as needed. So that's sort of a summary that this is uh, 17 pages talking about the pros mostly and some of the concerns about uh, creating a like a media, a media, um, what's the word? Like a, a, a self-imposed, uh, I don't know, set of norms for reporting on mass murderers. Um, so some of the bullet points we can talk about and for people that are showing up, some of the things that were interesting that I wanted to uh, dig into this about some of the mediest pieces, for example, Oh, I don't know if Jim can hear us when he's outside, but uh, he's jumping back and it's now uh, just a phone connection thing. But uh, some of the bullet points are 80% of respondents agreed that media coverage of mass shootings can make offenders famous, that respondents were significantly more interested in reading news stories about heroes than they were perpetrators. Uh, the 1999 Columbine massacre was the most highly media covered event in the entire decade that received larger audiences than both the 92 and 96 presidential elections, more coverage than the Rodney King verdict and the LA riots, more coverage than the Iraqi evasion of Kuwait, and more coverage than the death of Princess Diana and the, the death of Mother Teresa, which really didn't get any coverage. So that's one element. From 2013 to 2017, $17 million in uh, equivalent media mentions were uh, given to murderers. Uh, another bullet point, free publicity that can have similar effect, or similar, free publicity can have similar effect as paid advertising. That's another point they brought up in there. During an era when these, reward are, when these rewards are more desperately coveted than ever before, and this was written in 18, some might say that there's even more difference now, uh, media coverage could potentially reduce both copycats for public and public fear by avoiding the description of the particular mass killings as part of an increasing trend. So in other words, the way that they suggest that because we're reporting about it now, it's an increasing trend. And there's an aspect of, in the article, there's an aspect of the public fear that's created. And they could alleviate that by avoiding the description of any particular mass killing as part of an increasing trend to normalize the behavior and exaggerate the prevalence of these problems. 
And at that point, I've got some other points, but I'll leave it with these bullet points just to kind of get everybody started. We do have other people joining in. Uh, Jim is having some trouble with the thing. It's probably just the StreamYard. Um, if you can hear, I'm not sure if, I don't remember when you're in that situation, if you can hear what we're saying, but just a little narrow casting to Jim, if you can hear me. Uh, it might be able to just back out of the stream yard and tell it to let go of your phone or let your phone connect but turn it off. That might be an, a solution to both problems if if I'm understanding what's happening there. But I do appreciate your uh, attempt to jump in. We'd definitely like to have you if you're able. So again, I'm hoping that he's hearing us, but otherwise, Smeggy, what do you think? Oh, here's Jim. Here we go. Yeah, I, so, I can like hear I that. Say, those are some of the Okay, cool. Awesome. So I appreciate you jumping in again. Uh, this is Jim Irvine. Am I saying it right? Jim Irvine? Irvine? You're right. Thanks. And uh, yes, you're right. He's driving. Thank you. He's driving. So we have a little bit of connection issue, but we're definitely going to deal with that. Thank you for jumping in. Uh, Jim is uh, a lot of hats and uh, I've chatted about you before so i'm sure some people know who i'm talking who we who we have with us but uh uh the right now you're jumping in from faster saves lives but also with the buckeye firearms association and probably more than that yeah i'm also a, a board member with the second amendment foundation right on so thanks again for jumping in so um, when when Cheryl suggested somebody was going to jump in, I, I had no idea that it would be you. So, um, of course, your insight is definitely um, uh, valued. My, my, this, what I tried to express to Cheryl and what I'd like to, to us to talk about is if this is a useful angle or a useful tack for a Second Amendment advocacy campaign or uh, just discussions or having conversations, it's something that I haven't heard and it's, I don't know if it's diverting the blame or diverting uh, responsibility, but I don't know if that matters if it's successful or not. And I don't have enough interactions with non-gun owners to really get an objective opinion. So I thought we'd go live and just sort of discuss it as a roundtable. So Jim's driving, so I'm going to shut up and let you talk. Smeggy will listen too, and uh, I'm going to tag some of the people that are listening live who might be asking questions. But Feel free to just go. I know you're driving, so just feel free to take the well, mic and let us know what you think. I I actually pulled off to uh, to stop and talk to you guys because I think this is an important enough con uh, topic that it it deserves some dedicated time. And I want to thank you for broaching it. Not only is it important for the Second Amendment groups to talk about, this is a critical thing for our society in general to not only talk about but to engage in and to demand some changes in the way things are done. Because I think you're right. The media are absolutely culpable in some of this stuff. Now they're, they didn't, they're not the ones who did the killing. So I don't want to take the blame away from the killers. However, we do know that there is a copycat effect. Nobody denies the way if we covered suicides, uh, ad nauseum, you see an increase in suicides, particularly youth suicides, which is generally who's committing these types of offenses. <clears throat> we know that suicide is a mental health problem. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a little bit of a sore throat. Um, we know that whether suicide is committed by taking pills or shooting yourself in the head or the various ways people do suicide by cop, 
or you do an act of killing and then commit suicide. They're all suicides. It's all tied to mental health. It is all important to look at and see if we can reduce. But we also know on the copycat stuff, we know the Columbine killers were looking to be famous. That was part of motivation. Like, why on earth would anyone do this? And I hate when the so-called experts say, oh, it's insane. It's senseless. No, it's not. What's insane is labeling someone else inferior to you and then keep losing to that person you labeled as insane, which is obviously inferior to us, the sane people, the sane adults in law enforcement, in the schools and the churches and stuff like that. It's a defense mechanism. And look, I, I can understand it, but don't go out and advertise it. That's absolutely wrong. So the Columbine killers wanted to be famous. You mentioned all the coverage they got. There's only been a handful of teens on the cover of Time magazine. Those cowards were were on there. Not only were on the were they on the cover, they had big color photographs on there. And if it couldn't get any worse, they're, they're bordered by little black and white pictures of their victims. It is very clear that Time thought the killers are important. The victims. Uh, they're a border. They're a background. They really don't matter. No one, they don't care. We glorify the killers and we don't care about the victims. And that to me is just disgusting. And for the media, it's, it's interesting because they don't self-censor very well, but they do in some case, one case where I think they do a really good job, they self-censor on rape. They don't go out and and they don't want to get on the rape victims and stuff like that. They cover rape victims generally pretty uh, respectfully, I think. I think the children that are murdered in these things deserve the same respect. They are, again, they are absolutely innocent victims in this mess. And the way you protect the rape victim is you don't give out her identity and all of this other stuff. The way you protect the children is you don't give up the identity and the pictures of the killers because it encourages more. And for those who want to say, Oh, that's ridiculous. Go look at Virginia tech. He idolized the Columbine killers and he wanted to set a new high score and do them proud. And he did the media helped create him and did it. And then well, so what? That's a one-off. Yeah, it is. But look at our Newtown killer. He idolized the Virginia Tech killer and wanted to set a new high score. But not just the 50, I think it was 52 casualties, 32 dead in Virginia Tech. He wanted a world high score. He wanted to beat the, I believe it was 71 in Norway. And he would have if he didn't just quit. Thank goodness he did. Or we'd have lost multiple more classrooms full of kids. So I think you guys are onto something and I think this is a really important topic and I thank you for broaching it. And uh, I hope other people pay attention to what you're doing here tonight. Right on. So let me, if you got a moment still, let me ask you a couple of questions. Absolutely. I know that some of the concern is because this, the research that we're citing is from a Google document from this scrolling up to the top again, American behavioral scientist, which I guess is some kind of periodical or publication and the author, um, Lankford, Adam Lankford, is, I guess, you know, not known enough or there's concern that his research, whatever. So 
again, I'm not here to talk about the research so much. We could def I think it's definitely worth more uh, conversation for sure. I just barely discovered it. I heard this alluded to in, I think, one of the testimonies somewhere, and that got me searching for it. And I finally found it with this Reason TV uh, kind of uh, interview with the author, but I realized this is a 2018 article. So if there's a better research, then I haven't found it. But again, not disputing the research because some people are going to dispute the research. I'm just going to take the research at face value because, I mean, we're not here to be able to do anything about it tonight. So my question tonight is more, you know, is this going to be effective? Is this the right optic? Is this the right tact to take as a Second Amendment activist? In other words, we know that the my property and my rights is no longer useful as a it's it's kind of funny as a is a nod to the homage to the way that we used to have to fight or we were able to fight back in the day or the, the fight evolved but we know that it's no longer a useful effective fight if we want to talk to a group of people who are more concerned about us and we those talks about my and our are different you know they they see that as is dividing and they don't see that as a unifying thing so we know that there's messaging that can be more effective and is this something where again we're seen as pacing placing the blame or we're seen as passing the buck or is this something that can t really be in insightful not like i don't want to incite violence but you know make aware insight insightful to people who may not realize uh, i used some of the the things that they cite in the very first couple of paragraphs, like the uh, the comparison of the amount of coverage to like the wars and things, that was eye opening to me. I had never really thought about it in that way. When this ref, when it was referred to, I was like, oh wow, that seems like it really has some teeth. And the other things I've never seen anybody use it. And if I haven't seen anybody use it, I wonder: is there a reason for that? Is it because no one's found it, or is it because it's just not the right argument to make, the right position to take? So I'm going to shut up and let you guys address that angle on it. Is this is this a good valid argument or position to take? Yeah, I I think it is. Look, any way that saves lives, I'm for, especially if it's innocent children. And all right, the research, whether you like or dislike the research, forget about what's proved. Just ask ourselves what's common sense. What's in your gut? I mean, we we know intrinsically that this stuff gets influenced. We know, I, it's funny, I tease media. I'm like, hey, have you ever covered, because media will, if you tell us to media, and I have, because they're like, why do these keep happening? Who's to blame? And I said, well, you are. And uh, as a young female reporter, and she's very indignant that I, like, me, what do you, I didn't do anything. And I'm like, well, not you personally, you, your field, you're a media pool, you are part of this problem. Like, that's ridiculous. Why? And I'm like, and, and I went through a lot of the stuff you did and they argue with me and I'm like, whoa, 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 just let's take guns out of the picture so we can discuss something you're familiar with without emotion. I said, has anybody here ever covered a story where a child died in a house or an apartment fire? All 20 hands go up. I said, has anybody ever seen the story? Uh, do you ever get the mention that there's no working smoke detectors in the house? Yeah, everyone. I'm like, do you ever see a story where a child dies and there's no mention of that? And they're like, well, no. I go, well, how about somebody dying in a boating and mention of a PFD? Well, yeah, every time. Of course they do. And even in car accidents with childs and approved child seats, they always do this. And I said, look, 
kudos to you guys. Collectively, easy, easy, a thousand lives a year are saved because we change our behavior because of the way media covers those events. It reminds us, wow, I haven't changed my smoke detectors in a long time. It reminds us, hey, yeah, I am going boating. I do need to do this. It just makes us more responsible. We learn from those things. So the idea that the media doesn't affect our behavior is just, it doesn't even pass the initial smell test. We don't even need a study. So we know they do. Now back to the active killers. I mean, first of all, why would you want to glorify the killer? It doesn't even make sense to me. The victims are important. But lots of people listening right now could name the Columbine killers, even though that was 20-something years ago. But you know what? They can't name the six-year-old boy who died in Townville Elementary uh, seven years ago last week. Because that doesn't get the media coverage and nobody cares that a little boy died who didn't need to. They don't know. They, they can cite the killers at uh, the, the killer at Sandy Hook or Parkland, but they don't know the name of the 17-year-old girl who died in Arapahoe High School because it was just one, so it doesn't get covered. It just, it bothers me. I think most people care about the victims a lot more than the killers, and I think the media totally misreads us, and they're going for, it's like clickbait to them. And uh, I, I just, number one, I, I don't think it's effective or good journalism for anything decent, uh, and number two, I, I just, I just don't think it's appropriate. I think it's, it's, I think it's part of the problem. You can't possibly argue that it's part of this solution. So why do they keep doing it? And I don't know. Part of it is, I think they just copy each other. I think it's just, everyone is afraid to do something drastically different, but as Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. I think it's time that we, the audience, demand our media start treating this situation a little different. Right on. You meant, I appreciate that. You mentioned at the beginning that you know they don't have the intent. The media doesn't have the intent to cause harm, and I don't think they're intentionally doing anything. They, but like you say, it's one of the drops doesn't realize that it's part of the flood. So if you don't realize there's an option or you don't have a decision in front of you, then tend to go with whatever's been done or whatever's, you know, the tendency. So I, I was going to mention, and you kind of covered some of this, but towards the end of the article and something again that I've, I've heard the concept of uh, how much money was spent in the equivalent, like how much time and attention they spend on talking about murderers, specifically gun murderers versus literally everything else, literally everything else, including wars, political, uh, presidential elections and every other kind of crime that happens. They spend more time on the gun stuff. And and that's the big takeaway. And the thing I thought was going to be in this article, but towards the end, it talks about, and you covered this, that media, and, and, and I guess I also should say that when I listen to that Reason video that's about 15, 20 minutes long, or 12, 15 minutes long, uh, it kind of has this, the, the even the Reason, who I'm told is a fairly conservative position, I haven't really heard of reason before, but I was listening to this thing for the first time and it, the, the reporter seemed kind of, well, why do you want to censor the news? You know, he's asking the person that and uh, the author, why do we want to censor the news? And the author was trying to say, it's not binary. We're just suggesting that there's some you know, things that can be done voluntarily by the media 
to uh, stifle the you know let, create less encouragement for people to be copycats. Uh, and because they tried to turn it binary, I was kind of skeptical of the press considering themselves at, uh, to take any responsibility here. But like you say, they know that their attention, what they pay attention to and the, the frequency, that it has effect. That's why they do it. And they know that they do it. There's tons of studies that verify that. But towards the end of the article, it talks about how they already self-censor, like you mentioned, for rape, but also for lots of things in that realm, right? There's things that they do not uh, look at corpses. They don't say uh, racial, you know, they don't, they don't get into things that are, um, what's the word, like societal, uh, there's no laws, there's no uh, FCC rule. Well, there might be FCC rules actually on some of the words or something, but they do have, they do self-censor themselves in some ways. And that's one of those uh, things that I never had thought about because I, again, the, just discovering this, it was almost kind of a defensive uh, position from the media guy or from whoever it was, the reporter talking about this. And uh, and again, they they uh, have definitely taken it to self-censor. And we kind of talked about this in past conversations with the serial killers back in the day. The media took some responsibility. I don't know if that was given to them or if they took it and you know decided to report differently after, I don't know, it was before my time a bit, but I know that they did some things there and they've, um, anyway, so there's there's uh, precedence for this. It's not like we're asking the media or asking anyone to do anything differently. And I guess to address like the fact that they're not gonna do it intentionally, uh, they do everything as a result of their audience. I mean, literally everything. So if it's popular for them to not do it, they're gonna quit doing it. And that's just as simple as awareness. So. We already have massive systems in place. Faster is one of them for sure. Um, once faster is established, I mean, it's already established and you could tell us how many states, but uh, systems like that, girl and a gun, uh, well-armed women, uh, DC project, There's and those are just the female ones, I guess I'm thinking of, but like NRA, USCCA, uh, the different uh, legal protections and things, there's all kinds of infrastructures that we have. Then we get into the shooting sports and hunting and, NSSF, we got the SHOT Show about to happen. Uh, there's so many ways to distribute information once we decide this is a tact to take. Uh, and then again, there's that's it's an opportunity as well to have uh, a new, well, if this is something, to take a new um, position to the both the antis and our own uh, community to give us more inventory in our toolboxes, more ammunition to use our pun right, to have better, more effective conversations with people. So that's my next question without hogging the show all night. If this is valid, and I'm going to check out the conversations from people that are out in the text chat. Some of these are longer to harder to read. And Smeggy, feel free to chime in. But if this is a valid position to take, like if you're having a conversation with somebody who's an anti, and you say, okay, it's time to bring it up. I'm going to bring up how the media brings up more attention to the murderers with guns than they do to about wars or whatever it is that this person's going to understand the most and see if it works. Is it going to be effective? Is it something that we'd want to really use often? Or is it just one of those things we'd want in reserve? Do you think this has traction? Or maybe the reason I haven't heard about it very often is because it's just not the greatest tactic. Well, working with the media, I mean, the cliche answer when you ask someone why they went into journalism it's to change the world. 
or it's to make the world a better place. Well, reducing active killing change the world and make the world a better place. So the media should be all about this. This is exactly why so many of them get into it. Dealing with your average, I, I hate the term anti-gun, but we all know what it means. When you're dealing with someone who has, you know, hoplophobia or just are, for whatever reason, averse to us carrying guns to protect ourselves. Yeah, I think it is a good solution or, or it's a good piece of a solution. It's not a panacea. I don't think if the media, if, if, if we came up with what we want tonight and we have a template and we put it out there and every media said, hey, you know what? You guys are right. The whole procedure's changed. We're going to do it your way. Is that going to eliminate active killings? No, it's not. It, it's I'm not saying that at all. However, I do firmly believe it will reduce them. And we go back to another cliche. If it saves just one life, isn't that worth doing? Well, if you stop one act of killing, you're, you're probably saving a lot more than one life. You're saving many lives. And I think that in every act of killing we stop, we're reversing that trend. We're, we're going to, we need to, we've got a trend problem. I mean, in addition to all of the killings and the lives lost, it's getting worse and it's getting worse at a faster rate. So we need something to do differently. I think this is a piece of what can be done differently to reverse that trend and make these less popular. Will it solve the mental health problems? No, it won't. We need medical stuff for that. Will it solve the someone wanting to to do this no it won't but maybe it deflects it to different places or maybe it lowers the number of people doing it maybe it it will help in borderline ways i i can't imagine not trying everything you can to save these children's lives it it just drives me nuts this is not a cafeteria style lunch where we're like hey we like this and we like this but no we're not going to we're not, we don't want to eat that over there. You know, that's great in the cafeteria. When we're talking about children's lives, it's not picking and choosing what we feel like doing to save children's lives. It's doing everything that we can reasonably do to make our kids safer. And our, our schools, our daycares, our churches, our workplaces, it's all the same issue. It just manifests. It's the same problem that manifests itself in slightly different ways in different locations. So I, I think it's absolutely a worthwhile thing for us to be, since no one else is leading the charge, why not us? Because you know what? More often than not, with all of this stuff, we are the ones that have the viable solutions. We just need to be willing to talk about it and and confront the naysayers. And if they don't like it, say, hey, so what's your solution? Because they don't have them. They just don't. Man, I do not. I'm trying to hard not to interrupt people when they're on because of my tendency is to interrupt people. But those there was a lot of great points. I'm taking some notes. So, um, so lots of great points there. Um, I'm gonna put in though that I really difficult not to interrupt when you brought up the idea of mental health uh, and then kind of well at least I wrote down here mental health health resources because as we let's say that this is a campaign to try out right to make a t-shirt about it ask people to try it out and um, I think you know that next question would be if you're going to put something like this out or question to anybody you know if you're going to put out a campaign like this that is uh, anticipatory of the next overreaction to an atrocity right like an engineered situation is going to happen where somebody wants to 
infamy or whatever, and, and then there's going to be reactions. So we're trying to put something out to prevent that, to you know, to be, you know, to put it out in front of that. So how to present that? But if you just said, "Hey, media, we think you're the problem," but we don't, you know, we're trying to say we don't think you're the problem, but you may have been inadvertently in a nice way. Here's what you shouldn't do. But we're not saying here's what we let's do this instead. So we can get our point across with a little bit of sugar, baby, by saying, you know what the real deal is? 60% of firearms deaths, deaths with a firearm, are suicide. And we care about that a lot because we're firearms owners. We care about that a lot because of lots of reasons. And let's prevent that. And one of the ways we can do that is by uh, talking about mental health resources and reducing the barriers to uh, mental health you know, awareness and that kind of stuff. And when can we get that? When are we most talking about that? When there's a, an atrocity, when somebody who's had the most problems decides to spin off and do this horrible thing. And then instead of talking about them, why don't we each vow ahead of time which organization we're going to go to and ask them how we can spend our time and resources helping them to prevent this from happening again. So we start to is that a way, you know, so I'm throwing that out there, like, you know, throw the, here's something we can do, walk, talk America, right? Throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, it's mental health is a confusing mess of stuff. And I am certainly not an expert in mental health. I'm nothing close to it. Um, but I've learned a lot over the years listening to mental health experts and their various takes on stuff. And it's, it, it's really a fascinating field it really bothers me that it's still stigmatized in this day and age. Um, I find that is unacceptable as racism. It's, it's just wrong. I, I just left a hospital where a family member is in there for a broken femur slash hip. And no one would say, well, you're weak because you went to the doctor. You know, there's, there's something wrong with you that you needed help. That's insane. Well, you know what? There's, it's insane to say someone's weak to go get mental health. Um, as my friend Dave Grossman has pointed out, everybody needs help. Sometimes it's really the, it's not the weak that go seek help. It's the strong. You have to be strong enough to admit, I need some mental health help here. That's a courageous thing to do in today's world. They sh we should be bragging about those people, not stigmatizing them. Um, and, and by, by, by opening this up and discussing it, we can encourage people to go get help. And, um, is, is it perfect? No, it's not. But a lot of the stigmatism, I think, and the, the ignorance really on mental health comes from stuff that was done 50 plus years ago. Well, guess what folks? We're not treating cancer the way we did 50 years ago. We don't even treat broken bones like we did 50 years ago. And we sure as heck don't do mental health like we did 50 years ago. We have learned so much over the, the last few decades. It's a totally different field than it used to be. And it is much more successful than it used to be. So it's, it's really something I think that should be embraced and not shunned or put off and and shame on us, all of us, for not doing a better job on that and not being our brother's keeper when something's not right. You know what? Maybe they don't need mental health. Maybe they just need a friend to talk to. 
That is incredibly valuable. So be that friend. Offer. Don't wait for someone to come to you and and say all their problems. Just say, hey, are you doing all right? You know, you seem like you're you're having a bad time. Anything you want to talk about? Open open that discussion up. And all of the since we touched on suicide, all of the experts on that say, if if you see the warning signs or any warning signs, ask. Hey, are you thinking about suicide? You're not going to talk anyone into suicide. No one who wasn't going to is going to say, well, I wasn't, but now that you mention it, maybe I should. No one is going to do that. But I, I went home from one of these seminars one time. I had a friend of mine who had multiple warning signs. And I thought about it, and I asked him that very uncomfortable question. Hey, are you thinking about suicide? And his response shocked me to my core. He said, how did you know? And I didn't know. We had a little bit uncomfortable for a few minutes. That was a decade ago. Our friendship is so much stronger today than it ever was before that because we both realized we cared enough about each other to broach that untough, uh, uh, difficult topic. And bottom line, what he told me was not anymore. Two months ago, I was in a really bad spot, but I've worked through that and I know I will never go back there again. What I've found is that is so typical of people in suicides. It truly is the cliche. It is the permanent solution to a temporary problem. And so often, just if we can just engage someone and delay it and talk about it a little bit, we can prevent it from ever happening. How cool is that, that we have that power to do that? And you don't even, you don't have to be a doctor or a PhD or a a psychiatrist or any of this stuff. You just have to be someone who cares enough to ask the question and, and broach the topic. So yeah, there's, there's all sorts of pieces on this. And like I said, I think we should pursue all of them, even if it's not a mass killing, if it's just one person who we can interact with on the mental health stuff and help them through it, whether recommending they go talk to somebody, a professional or listening ourselves to somebody you save that one person's life, the ripple effect is huge because it's not just them. It's their husband or wife. It's their parents or kids. It's their friends and coworkers. It's massive the impact one death has when it's a suicide or an act of killing or some form of negligence or something like this. It's staggering how big it is. And it's it's so much bigger than the one person. And I think we all play a role. There's little things we can all do. There's mistakes all of us have made, but it's learning and doing a better job going forward. Good points. Maggie, I don't know if you want to jump in at all. Feel free, just barge in. Um, but as you said that, Jim, I think uh, one of the things I was thinking there, you went a different direction, but uh, when you said just one incident, like in other words, not a mass murder, but a murder, uh, I think there's potential or is there potential? Maybe I'm asking, I don't know, because this isn't something I've seen happen, but if there's uh, an effort and maybe it's pointing to existing organizations or maybe for people, I know there's always people out that want to address an untapped or uncovered uh, element. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's directing an organization to fill this gap if there is a gap or maybe just making more people aware of what is filling the gap. But uh, if so, in other words, if there's one incident and you're able to use that incident as a vector or a fulcrum to talk about 
mental health and our societal um, you know perception of it and that you know the brain is a muscle and we use so much you know, like you just said there, there's so many easy ways to talk or effective ways uh, to get across the idea of mental health awareness and and that truly breaking the barriers to uh, to mental health uh, help is uh, you know the ways that we we normalize people not getting to the point where they're probably doing a lot of the ills in society, you know, can probably, you know, I'm not saying everything, but a lot of them can be attributed to people that are spinning out because they're just not feeling like they're part of a group. So some of that is maybe steps, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So in other words, it's going to be tough to change the narrative on the next time that they all, I say, uh, exploit, because I believe it's exploitation, exploitation, when they jump on the, I mean, they have all this stuff written, they've got all the graphics made, they're just waiting for the next one to happen. I mean, that's exploiting it. But um, anyway, whenever they go after the next one at full force, we already talked about how much pressure and effort they're gonna put into demonizing the, the same old narratives. Now, luckily they are bringing in people like Jim, we're gonna give you a second to talk about, or not more than a second, we're gonna give you as much time as you want to talk about faster. But if we're not going to be able to change the narrative on the big times, maybe the way to get there is incrementally by steps and talking about it locally and on small issues and bringing it up instead of just saying, here's the gun I would have carried or here's the way I would have reacted to that. Instead, take the opportunity, especially when the other side is listening and say, you know, well, what are the, what are the, what's available in the area for mental health for this person? What was the mitigating causes of this? Like, was this person able, were they seeking stuff out? Like, let's look at other things besides what they had in their hand, you know, after the incident. Yeah. I mean, it's the mental health is such an interesting thing. So I lobby on firearm issues and everybody thinks that's polar divided and it is in some ways and it's not in some ways, but Republicans and Democrats alike conservative or liberal or yin or yang, Everybody can kind of look back at what our nation did with mental health 40-ish years ago, where we shut down all our mental hospitals, and we it's wrong to keep those people here. We put them out on the street. And then those people commit crimes, and they end up in our prison system. It costs a whole lot more money to put them in the prison system than it was in the mental health system. And you cannot treat mental illness by putting someone in a prison system that doesn't work. And if you want to talk about cruel and unusual punishment, man, take somebody who's has mental health issues, doesn't have all their faculties and put them in a prison where they're going to be abused. I can't think of, I mean, I mean, that's to me, that's cruel and unusual punishment. It's wrong. So it's, it's a very complicated, interesting puzzle. And, and I think everybody agrees we made mistakes 40 years ago, not no malice. We just didn't understand mental health the way we do today. But given that we all know it was a mistake, we can't undo it. We can't fix it. I, I don't know a single politician on any side of anything that supports where we've gone on mental health and thinks we're doing a good job. Yet, for some reason, we can't find consensus on something there seems to be broad agreement on. And it's, it's very frustrating to me, but I I don't know how to fix that problem. I'm, I'm hoping awareness. I really think awareness is the answer to a lot of stuff. And 
things don't change overnight. They change incrementally. I think intent is a big piece of the equation. Once people understand the situation, when something you mentioned earlier, and I didn't want to interrupt you, um, but a concern is, again, uh, I forget, I don't have it in my notes here. I didn't highlight it enough, I guess. Um, but you mentioned something, and, and it's, I would say, again, lack of um, awareness of both sides and options and the bigger picture. People are often focused on whatever their agenda is. They don't realize that they're either walking cross paths or you know, parallel with someone else. And um, anyway, I like think a lot of these things, uh, in other words, they, they wanna take away guns, red flag laws or something, let's say. And you know, sometimes just letting them know that, okay, you take away the guns, but now you've left them with knives and other dangerous things. So that really doesn't solve the problem. Then they understand that we're not against helping the person. We're just against that that stopgap way of addressing the issue, which isn't helping the person, it's just removing one thing politically. So some of this is awareness that we just have to understand, you know, get past some some hiccups and hopefully political, you know, rational or whatever, the evolution of political debate will get us past some of these issues. Maybe I'm too optimistic, but it's hard to know those trends. I don't pay attention, but um I think I Go think ahead. you're right on the mark there. And it's, uh, and, and I think that is a message. I know it's been received well in certain locations that we don't, all right. If someone is needs, there's a mental health problem and we don't want to have that person to hurt themselves or others. We're all on the same page. You don't treat mental health by going and taking their property. They need a mental, mental health professional to treat the person if you care about these people then let's not take their stuff let's get them treatment let's get them help how about we do that and and that has been received in uh in, in a couple states that message well now the mechanism for how you do that can get very complicated and i don't have all the answers and it's uh i don't know anybody who does it's still a mess but at least we can start focusing on the the individual. The really, I, I, they're not a victim in the traditional sense, but they they are a victim of disease. They're a victim of a health problem, and they they want help. They want to be better. So let's let's work together on that. I think that's a great cause. Yeah, one of the things too, I think, getting out of the political realm because you're always going to have, you know, team A versus team B kind of thing. But one of the things I think that we all can work together on, this is kind of a, a side note, but is like medical training in schools. That's one of the things I know has been brought up a lot before, but like, you know, stop the bleed type stuff. Every teacher has a, a fire extinguisher in their class and they know how to use it. They should have a tourniquet sitting right next to it and they should know how to use them. So that's, I think, one of the things that we can come together on all sides of the political aisle and be like, who's against medical training? Like, that's the that's a slam dunk, easy thing that can at least help something. I, I agree. I mean, it's huge. I, I'm an airline pilot. So when I sign for the airplane uh, for every flight I do, I'm responsible for the plane, the cargo, my crew and the passengers. I I am legally and morally obligated to get them safely to their destination. If that becomes not possible or practical, then I got to get them safely to someplace else. 
There's no asterisk in that that says, well, unless an engine fails, unless there's an electrical failure, unless the weather's really bad, then it's okay to kill the people. There's no, I, it's never okay to kill them. It's they're my duty as, as the captain on the airplane. Well, our schools have a legal and moral obligation for the children in their care. They have custody of our kids and they have a legal duty to protect them. And there's no asterisk in there either. So it's cool. They've got fire extinguishers and do fire drills and they got EpiPens in case there's a peanut allergy or an allergic reaction to a bee sting or something. And they do a great job at that. We've got AEDs in the schools in case somebody has a heart attack, they'll get them out. But if it's, if they're cut, then we're going to dial 911 and wait and let them bleed out and die. That's not acceptable. It's not okay to not train your staff for this is negligent, I believe. And I know that's a horrible, awful word because basically it means we didn't care enough. We, we knew there was a danger, but we just didn't really care about your kid's life. But to me, that's what's going on. Now, I know the adults, it's not really that callous. They're good people, but violence is uncomfortable for a lot of people to discuss. So they don't want to talk about it. But even through our little program, we've had a bunch of lives saved with the tourniquets. And it's a myth. You don't lose a limb. Tomorrow morning, there'll be a thousand people or more in our ORs with tourniquets on doing vascular surgery and other stuff. It's a myth. It's I, I won't get into that stuff. For, for the time frames we're talking about, a properly applied commercial tourniquet, the whole global war on terror, I don't know of a single loss of a limb caused by the tourniquet. So, uh, you know, again, medicine has learned some things over the years and they've changed what they're doing. And our school staff need to confront this all the lives saved with the tourniquets through our program, none of them have anything to do with a gunshot or a stabbing uh, or, or even violence of any way, shape, or form. But a hand through the glass can turn deadly right now. A saw blade cutting cement, doing a pad, can be deadly right now. Uh, we had teachers on a motorcycles lay one down of severe laceration. Tourniquet saved the life. Um, but one of the more interesting one is... a. It wasn't at a school, but a teacher was at his mom's house uh, helping with spring cleanup. And his, his mom, you know, a little bit on the reckless, this very dangerous activity that we call gardening. She tripped over a road rose bush and the stalk cut through like on the side of her calf right to her uh, uh, right through her artery and significant bleeding tourniquet. And, and like I can't prove that was a life save because some are. We don't know, but we do know it was significant bleeding. The tourniquet stops the bleeding and we do the transport to the hospital. She has to have surgery on this severe puncture wound, but she fully recovers. She's got a scar, but there's no, there was never risk to life because it was prompt application of a tourniquet. It might've gone very differently had he just dialed 911 and waited for the professionals to get there. And you know, whether it's stop the plead or through our faster saves lives program or working with your local EMTs, whatever it is, we spend, it's three hours to learn how to run an AED and get certified on that. It's about a three hour course to treat 80 to 90% of the sur survivable trauma wounds and maybe a hundred dollar trauma kit. I don't think we're asking too much to have that in every one of our schools. And I think it's negligent, any school that doesn't have it. And I know the vast majority of schools don't have them yet, but every school that has a fire extinguisher today, every school that has epinephrine, every school that has an AED is going to have a trauma kit going forward because we're sick of losing our kids to simple things where they should never die.
Right on. Well said. And it kind of broke up there, so we'll give, that'll give you a chance for the internet to connect again. Uh, there's seven questions that I've got starred here, which a couple of them tie together, so it's really probably more like five questions altogether. And if people want to grab some or throw some more questions out, if I might have missed them or whatever, feel free. But I want to keep Jim here all night, and I want to keep this fairly consumable because this is uh, just a an exploration of whether or not the idea of the media coverage, the amount of media coverage is a usable um, tactic or uh, conversation to have uh, for uh, you know Second Amendment activists. Um, so Jim, do you have a couple minutes still to hit? I know some of these are questions for you. Yeah, we can go a little further. Go ahead. Appreciate it. Um, so like well, I think Woods is saying we'd like to see more from Lankford. I think what he means is he enjoyed the research and he'd like to see more from him, I think. So I guess that's more of a statement. Patriot saying they did the research back in the 70s. So I guess if uh, either of you guys have any insight on Lankford, the, the creator of this, or the, the, the what am I trying to say, the um, research that's cited, feel free to throw that on. Well, I, I, I will say that I think they did more than just that study because I think the thing in the 70s uh, when I was reading it was they did a study on like the suicide and the way that media covers that I think that's what they were referencing but I mean some of the stuff if you're talking they're specifically say Sandy Hook or they specifically say Columbine or whatever like so obviously that research took place after those events happened so that, that specific article I think pulls from multiple research it's like a meta study where they pull from multiple ones and kind of put it all together as one thing On one more question here. So then Ben is saying legacy pop commercial media is not our friend. They are hurting any cause group of people in if it helps them or they are fine hurting anybody if it helps them. I think that's true, but I also have been recently listening to uh, uh, Michael Schwartz from Gun Owners Radio out in California. And his position is that as the Second Amendment specifically, but as a gun community in general, we leave the media alone too much, that they can be a tool that while they can be like a snake and bite or even have venom once in a while, if we know how to handle them, we can use them. So using things like press releases to stage our, our position in a way that works for us to our advantage so that they have very little way to, to spin it is, uh, and he's had success with that in California in a very hostile place. Uh, I think that that's a, I'd rather take that position, but I don't know if you guys have a more cautious or more less optimistic position on media and their ability to bite us in the back or sting us, whatever I'm gonna say. No, I, I agree with him. And look, there absolutely is media that it's all about the bias in the agenda. It has nothing to do with the truth or what, what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, Katie Couric comes to mind. Uh, NBC News in general comes to mind. But what I've also found is that's the exception. That's not the rule. Our local news reporters, and when I say our, I'm not talking about my personal one, all of our local people, most of them are just trying to do a story. They have a timeline that is insanely impossible. They're not experts on everything. And they're, they want to do a good story. They repeat stuff 
from other places because they don't have time to go find out the truth. So they just repeat what they've heard most often. Same thing any of us would do in that situation. So then the other, the frustrating thing is when they reach out to us gun owners, whether it's a range or uh, in a, a club or association or an individual, and we go, oh no, I, we don't, we're not, we don't trust the media. We don't want to talk to them. Well, if we don't want to educate the media, and we know the other side is indoctrinating the media, we're going to lose in the media. We have to be involved in that. I, I have found when you take the time to explain our issues to the media, you almost always get a reasonable story. Case in point, two months ago, we had the New York Times, not known for a, cons- a very conservative pro-gun organization newspaper, come out to one of our faster classes and look at school staff carrying guns. People are like, oh, what a horrible idea. Well, a couple months ago, they ran the story. It was in the Sunday New York Times front page above the fold. We were the number one story. And no, it was not a commercial for our program, but it was a very, and there was stuff in it that was inaccurate because they quoted people opposed to us, but that's all right. But when you, when you read through the story, it was a good story. It was good journalism, and it was a fair piece that proje- pre, uh, presented the issue and multiple sides and arguments. That's good journalism. If I can get that out of the New York Times, then we collectively, and it's not just me who got it, if we got that out of the New York Times, then we can get that out of the vast majority of media if we take the time to work with them. It's, it's just spending the time and helping them. If you got a kid who stinks at math, you don't solve the problem. Go, well, we're not going to talk about math with you because you're no good at it. You spend time on it with them and you help them understand the concepts. That's where you see progress. And we, we all can do a better job of that with the media. And I think absolutely it'll pay dividends. And uh, like, I'm going to assume with anything, we're going to get bit once in a while. We're going to get black eyes. We're going to get we're not going to get pooped on, but every once in a while, we'll get a good selfie or a good picture, and we'll learn from that. And and that we learn from them. We, I've learned a lot just from watching them. I right? just watching when they show up and do things the way that they set up, the way that they, uh, you know, the angles they'll take with cameras and stuff. So you can learn a lot when you have interactions with people. Not so much when you're confrontational with them, right? Right. Um, it's all about you- education. Uh, sorry, good job. G23 says, uh, or asks, I guess, how much of an effect do y'all think that Prozac doctors had on the mental health image? I'm not sure what that means. Is that just the, like, let's give the uh, kid a pill type of thing? Is that, or just give anybody a pill to solve their problems type of mentality? Yeah. So Prozac's a, a drug that was used for a lot of different things. I know, like, uh, ADHD and stuff like that. And I think probably depression. There's, there's an accusation that a lot of people, uh, that the drug causes these killings. I, I have not seen the evidence to support that theory. Um, I've seen it compared to like uh, Lipitor, uh, a cholesterol lowering drug. If you, if you look at people who have heart attacks, there's a higher percentage of them on Lipitor than the population at large. So does that mean Lipitor is causing the heart attacks? No, it doesn't. Lipitor is prescribed to people who are at high risk for heart attacks. It lowers their risk of a heart attack, 
it's you've got to dig in behind the statistics to understand that. I don't I don't for a second think Prozac or any of these drugs cause these problems. There's there's no evidence that I've seen of this. What we have seen is the drug was helping and the person comes off the drug and then goes and commits a horrible crime. That's not the drug causing the problem. That's the drug not preventing the problem because it's not being taken anymore. And and there's Prozac's an old drug. We have newer stuff today. Our our medical doctors do, and it's still. I, again, I'm not a doctor. This is way outside of my field of expertise. But my understanding is, it's not an exact science. Different people re, will react differently. It's a little bit of science, and it's a little bit art. And we try this. If that drug doesn't work, we try a different drug. Or maybe we increase a dosage or we decrease a dosage. And you find the drug and the dosage that works for the individual. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And sometimes it goes relatively quick. And sometimes, man, it's a long, arduous process. But we continue to slog through and work through until we find a solution. Our, our medical doctors today, between the psychiatrist, the psychologist, and the pharmacist, they can treat and cure mental illness like we were could only dream of 30 to 40 years ago. It's mind-boggling how good some of the medicine is in this field. And um, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's amazing what they've covered, and I don't think they get credit for what they've done right and how much they've helped. And I think it's one of those things, too, when uh, you could be helping 100 people, but if three of them are in a tent on the street, that's the part that people are going to be aware of, especially if the news is reporting about the tents on the street every morning, the situation with the tents on the street, right? Update on the tents on the street. And then, like you said, there's more to it. Uh, Mike just jumped in from uh, GunTube, founder at GunTube.org. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how's it going? Um, I'm going to read Clover Tax. I, I didn't read these all together, so I think these all go together. He says, his wife worked for a state mental health system, then moved to state mental health prison. The mental health facilities today suck. Either way, firsthand, at least they do here in Texas. He says he's following up by saying the wife didn't just work there a few years. She spent about 10 years at the hospital and then another 10 years at the prison. Um and then he had a question about the tourniquet, but I'm not sure, you know, we were just, I think, I don't know if you were just saying that, yeah. I mean, back when I grew up, if you, you were told tourniquet, last resort, you're on a desert island, person's going to die, then a tourniquet, otherwise never a tourniquet. The, now it's a lot less uh, lower threshold for when you might apply a tourniquet. I think that's all you meant, right? Like not literally. Right. No it's, it's, right. The tourniquet, it used to be the tool of last resort, as you just said. Today, it's the first go-to item for a mass casualty, because in thirty minutes, in thirty under thirty seconds, from like literally from if somebody shot me right now, I can grab a tourniquet out of my bag and put it on and have the blood bleeding stopped in under thirty seconds. That's our standard, and uh, so it's the first go-to item. My tourniquet actually sits above my gloves in my trauma kit. Now, I know I should put on gloves before I get into the bloody mess of dealing with a tourniquet. And I probably will. But you know what? If I'm looking at a 10-year-old child, I'm probably going to roll dice and save that kid's life and not worry about what disease I might get. 
but that's no. a, that's my that's a personal decision that I do. The doctors will say always put the gloves on first, but I it's the time thing. Time is all that matters. Whether you're talking about a heart attack, a stroke, or a massive blood loss, um, get this stuff on. Yeah, doctors also again looking at it, the big picture. Every nine out of ten people, doctors touch are bleeding, so they got to worry about it. They're touching each other, they're touching other people, so they got to worry about it. Regular people, yeah, it's it, they have, yes, yeah, so it's it's an unacceptable risk. And an adult right. on the street or something else, yeah, I'm putting gloves on first. If it gets all in your mouth and eyeballs, maybe, but that doesn't happen, so don't worry about it. And I'm agree with you 100% because that you can always get to the gloves if it's like, oh, no big deal, let me get my gloves on. But if you if you can't, then you need to have a tourniquet uh, quicker than not. So let me ask a quick question since I haven't had the opportunity. I'd like to, I'm here in Arizona, so I don't get up to Phoenix that often. It's not that economical for me, but whenever I can eventually get up there, I definitely like to experience it. I've experienced a lot of different training and the faster certainly seems like uh, the way to go for uh, what we're talking about here. But um, SWAT versus CAT. Uh, I would think from my position that having SWATs around is the way to go for schools. Or am I wrong on that one? And SWAT is a big elastic rubber band, basically in a plastic bag, uh, about the size of a pack of cigarettes, where a CAT is a standard decent tourniquet with a bunch of nylon and a, and a real windlass and everything. All right, well, let's, uh, we'll start with what I know. What I know is the CAT and the soft T are the two that are approved by our Department of Defense and NATO. They're the two that are proven to be effective and save lives. They work. You do not lose a limb. It does not cause nerve damage. You can have them on up for 10 hours, and we're not causing problems. We're solving problems. So those are the only two that are approved. The problem with them is they don't work on really young people. They don't work on pets uh, because they can't get small enough on that small limb to cut off the blood flow. A cat will work on anything. So while the cat's not approved, I'm, I'm sorry, the, excuse me, the SWAT, the SWAT will work on anything. And while it's not approved, I think it works very well. And so now we're into what I think my personal biases on this. I, I think it's very appropriate for like up to second, third grade for those kids or for pet owners who want one or somebody who's, if we, if you have someone who's got, you know, a particularly small bones or something where, where that might be an issue. Just because it's not approved by the government doesn't mean it doesn't work. That works. They, they work pretty well, I think. I don't know any data that proves this or that, but it's not one. It's pretty easy to apply. It's easy to carry. And it's, it's easy to, to understand and use. And I don't know of any failures on it. And I can't imagine there would be if you care for it properly. If, if you let it, it's it's a it's a big rubber band. So if you let it sit out in the sun, it's going to deteriorate with age, and it's going to deteriorate. So you need to replace it periodically. But I think I think it's a completely acceptable tourniquet, and sometimes a maybe a preferred tourniquet, depending on who you're dealing with. The the reason we don't need see that they don't need that tourniquet in the military. Because thankfully, we don't have a bunch of six, five, six-year-olds losing limbs that we need to put those things on. So there's the data just does not exist on them, and I hope it never does. Right on. Yeah, that's a great. Thank you for that. Um, 
And again, if you guys want to jump in, feel free. I'm just going to run through since we've been going for a while. I want to keep everybody all night. So Patriot uh, from Michigan says, Patriot in the dark from Michigan says, okay, I'll be that guy. Not only the shutdown, not only shut down the mental institutions, but they remove faith in our country. And I think that had more effect and he followed up with faith with the capital F. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's a, an aspect for sure, but what we're really talking about on the topic is um, whether or not the mass media coverage of the uh, mass murders is an effective 2A tactic. So we kind of got off in a couple of different things there, but I don't know. I, I mean, we definitely, it's one of those things, you don't talk about religion, politics, and some other things, I guess, but we ended up talking about just about everything else. So let's throw it out there just since Patriot brought it up is, I don't know how anybody might want to take that one. Right. And well, you, you got to look at it. The mass media coverage of, of these situations, you know, honestly, if, uh, if we could get together and maybe more cover more of this stuff ourselves, you know, possibly co cover the aspects that they don't say on a no that normal mass media doesn't, doesn't say like, Hey, this happened in a gun free zone, or this happened in an area that had a lot of gun control so that their gun control there. We need more gun control. Doesn't work because they had all the gun control in the world there and it still didn't help. You know, and I think we really need to double down on, you know, focusing on these aspects of the situation than, you know, just harping on about the actual person that did something wrong. Yes. That person does need help, does need help if they're still alive. You know, a lot of these, a lot of people that do these kind of things, you know, basically bite a bullet themselves because they don't want to, they don't want to be responsible for their actions. I guess one way to think about this is if they're spending all this time and attention on the coverage, and we're going to be talking about that time and attention that they spend, is right. it, it, it's, it's valid to talk about their attention with that coverage, right? We know that it's persistent. We know that it's often. But what is it they're focusing on? And it, you're right, they're focused. Well, I think what a couple of different topics here, but I think they're focusing on things that aren't to the point or aren't solutions. They're just old paradigms and old standbys. So right. you're saying if we add to the mix and have something to point to, um, you know, perhaps mm -hmm. that's a way to, um, to I'm thinking, use this as a, as an opportunity i'm trying to look at how to make lemonade all the time right we're really here for right, activism, right and you know if, it's, if, there is, if there's if there's angles we can use here so kingpin's question is careful asking too much of your schools we're seeing what they do now with too much control and influence that one's definitely for jim um have you had much issue i mean you're in ohio i guess it might be different in a different state perhaps or is it there's enough differentiation inside ohio that you've already dealt with differences well, yeah, we, I mean, we've worked away in I, at least 22 states. It might even be more than that now. So look, our schools are absolutely overloaded. I completely agree with that. And I, I think it's not as much, I, I think we do it. Look, no matter what else the school does, if the children are dead at the end of the day, then nothing else they did mattered. So I do think we have to ask more of our schools, but in some of this stuff, it's not even asking stuff for the schools. It's just getting out of the way of the school staff. Look, there's a ton of problems with our public school system. I, I'm not going to 
come in here and defend that. What I will say is even in your screwed up districts, there are adults there who are going to do anything and everything to save your children, including laying down their own life for your child. We saw it today again in Thailand, according to the coverage, one of the this adults dies shielding, protecting, holding a small child. We see this over and over and over again. If they're willing to do that, then what on earth is wrong with saying, let's get them beforehand and get them some training in the mindset, in the shooting, uh, in, in how to solve the puzzle in these buildings and in the medical stuff so that rather than dying for these kids, they live for the kids, they win for the kids, they end the violence for the kids. How is that controversial? And it's funny because even school board members who are totally opposed to this, when I post, set it up and pose it like that, they're like, well, nothing when you put it like that. I'm like, that's our program. What questions do you have? And it's not, it's not something the vast majority of school staff want nothing to do with this stuff. And that's fine. You don't need them to. There can be great teachers and great administrators and great whatever it is they do. But you do have to have somebody in that school trained in the medical stuff. You need somebody that's able to stop the violence. And, and that's what our program provides. Um, and again, that's outside the scope of this discussion. And I, if you want to know, go to fasterandsavelives.org. You can get into that. But, but I think, I, I think I you are appropriately, that. this discussion tonight on these other issues, let's focus on that and try and make progress on it. I hear you, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate you trying to stick with the, the focus. So here's the thing, though. As you're saying that, you know what? It is 100% in focus because, again, if we're talking about media's coverage of the killers, and the killers are doing what they're doing for whatever reasons. We kind of talked about that. Everybody knows what those are. And the media's coverage is what we're talking about, and whether or not it's a tactic for us as Second Amendment activists. Uh, we kind of talked about it. I talked about it before that if we just say, hey, here's what you shouldn't do, guess what? I, a bunch of people tell me what I shouldn't do. It doesn't mean nothing to me. If they give me some alternative, then now I'm listening maybe, right? Like maybe I'll listen to it if you if you got something in mind. So if we're if we are going to say, here's what you shouldn't do, you shouldn't keep taking part of what we think is, to, and that's the other thing, we're accusing them, right? Hey, you're taking part of this situation that we're in. So as an alternative, we talk about, um, well, and this is where faster comes into it, what you're actually doing is you're enabling, you're, you're creating awareness with the staff and the, the people in the school so that there's more confidence. There's a general, you know, in the air, there's more general confidence in the, the staff's ability to deal with the situation. And that can be from somebody accidentally something out of dropping something out of an airplane or a tree falling on a portion of the building or the car, car going out of control and smacking into a to part of the gym or something. Just the weird stuff that can happen with any building in a city or in a town or something. So having a staff that's able to cope with that just gives a general awareness to the kids. Staff who are timid and don't understand and are scared and are overly concerned about something because of media hype is what we're trying to get away from. So I think there is a lot of overlap here because if we're going to say to the media, hey, here's what you shouldn't do. I mean, faster is and Jim and everybody involved has created, has accomplished, have accomplished uh, precedent, resource, and history that we can show. You just said 22 states that you have involvement in, and you know that's out there doing everything we're talking about, empowering people and, and giving them the confidence. And what happens then is the students have no interest in, they don't see those as soft targets. And the students are the people who come back and do this stuff. 
So if students understand that the schools are capable, then this isn't this isn't ever on the radar, and there's no way to judge that. You know, we're not going to take credit for the you know the lack of something, but at the same time, we understand that the way you prevent something is by being resilient to it, right? And not creating it in the first place. And you're doing both with faster. So if we're going to tell the media in this discussion, you know, that it is a valid thing to bring up, then one of the tactics, you know, one, okay, if it's a valid thing to bring up, then what? Let's do something about it. So one of the tactics we would use is, hey, let's talk about faster. So I guess Cheryl was three steps ahead of me. Thanks for her um, recommending you come on, but I really do think it's on point. I mean, there's other things. We did talk about some of the other things, uh, mental health awareness. Of course, we talked, we know a bunch of people in the community that uh, are involved in that aspect, but uh, suicide awareness, you know, it gets on a whole nother level of people that we can involve. And again, offer alternative, I don't want to say narratives, but just offer alternative things that they can cover. Only maybe there's alternative narratives, you know, instead of pushing fear, push empowerment, you know, create opportunity in these times when somebody decided to create negativity but i'm preaching again you guys want to say stuff um patriot has one more and then g23 and then we'll we'll wrap it up and so i got something real quick and that's kind of tying that in as far as the like a different narrative that you could use and it was in that article they were talking about how people want to read about heroes more than they want to read about villains i was trying to find i guess they had some study i couldn't find the number Oh, yeah. So it's 70% of people would rather hear about um, heroes. Right. So that, you know, that's like talking about, you know, that dude who grabbed his AR from his house and chased that guy down the street, with, jumped in the other guy's truck. And then the, the dude in the mall who shot the guy in the, the food court, like those types of stories. I know there's a million more, but that's kind of like an alternative as well as like, Talk about the mass shooting, sorry, the mass killings that didn't happen because it was one person and then that guy got stopped or he got stopped before anyone even died. Like that's, that's a valid thing to put out there. And that will also cut down on the copycat type stuff. All the stuff we talked about earlier is like, oh, I want to do this and get famous. Well, my name's not going to be out there. My face is going to be out there. And I might get shot after shooting one person. So, like, that's not even going to be it. You know, that's not even I'm going to win. So it's going to stop that person right away. All those fame seeker, you know, the narcissist type people that they were talking about in the article. And there are a lot more of those events than there are active killing events. And there are some great stories that, that really should be told. But they don't. Um, I appreciate you guys bringing that up. So my tendency is not to bring that stuff up because I'm probably just too much looking at it. I, I hang out too close to the middle and I know that that doesn't land on the other side at all. They don't care about self-defense and they, they think it's weird and they don't have those same you know, core beliefs and stuff. So I know that that stuff doesn't always hit. Sometimes it does. Sometimes like with a mom or like somebody who really cares about self-preservation, it'll hit, but it doesn't always hit the other side. But just because it doesn't hit the other side doesn't mean it's not super valid. And where I'm thinking, let's get some some hits on the other side so that we can make some headroom, you know, move our line a little bit. Uh, it is important to have um, stuff that's um, or what am I trying to say? The 
focus that's reaching people that understand other aspects of this whole thing. And that is a big part of it. Uh, but I'm just saying that even though the other side doesn't really appreciate it, I mean, it's still a big part of it. Uh, well, Baron, it, of our, it could be kind of, oh, sorry. I was, was going to say, it could be kind of so bad. Baron is one of our channel uh, subscribers. So thanks to the people that subscribe. So I don't have to take commercial breaks or anything. A bunch of people buy us a cup of coffee each month. Some people buy us lunch that accumulates and it allows us to spend our time on projects like this one. So Baron uh, said that it was Stephen Williford is the person you were referring to, but I'll stop interrupting things. But Oh yeah. I just wanted to throw in that. I see your point of like, it's not the other side isn't going to get, you know, see the light instantly. You give them one story of self-defense, but it's kind of, it could be a sub, uh, subconscious thing. And that was something else they said in the article is that, you know, the, the media coverage is affecting people subconsciously. They definitely think that these events happen more often than they actually do. They think oh, that they're worse than they actually are. But then they used an example of like over time, you just kind of don't even notice it anymore. And they use the example of, you know, you don't see cigarette advertisement on TV anymore. No one really noticed when they went away. But subconsciously, like maybe that's less people have started smoking because of it. So the same kind of thing. Subconsciously, maybe people will be like, okay, self-defense is cool and blah, blah, blah. And that helps, you know, our side a lot more of getting just the general 2A self-defense type thing in the, the cosmos. You know, it's not necessarily directed at the person. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Thank you so much for bringing that up because I totally didn't even see that. But you're right that... Uh, um, beating of the drum the like what they hear in the distance gets through and even though they don't listen to it today every once in a while somebody will you know it'll be that day when they go wait a minute what am i hearing oh wait a minute they're saying something in that you know that beat that there's something there's a message coming through there so that's a great point and you're right they do talk about it in this article that they're totally aware of it and that's another aspect if we're having a debate or a discussion hopefully it's a, you know an argument but just sort of a conversation about this whether or not the media is actually um influencing or add, uh, have some responsibility with the amount of coverage and the consistency of the coverage uh, that's another thing to bring up right like do you realize that they do that in other things? You know, they, that they not only self-censor, but they realize that, you know, if they talk about something news story all the time, that it's going to be on people's minds. So they understand that they have influence and they should have some some responsibility or sense of ethics. Well, I think there is. It actually, doesn't the article talk about uh, the actual, there's literally a rule of ethics. Here it is. Society of Professionals Journalists Code of Ethics from 2014 specifically emphasizes that the media should balance the public's need for information against political harms and avoid pandering to lurid curiosity. So I think that's something that if we're going to take something away and we're going to have a conversation, that's one of those things I'd want in the toolbox. Like, hey, don't journalists have a code of ethics that they all agreed upon in 2014? Wouldn't this apply? Like Jim is saying, they'll... They'll, they'll do safety for swimming pools and for stairs and for stoves and for poisons, guns. Oh, no, we can't talk about those at all. You have to be ignorant of those, right? It's it's negligent. I'll go ahead and say negligent as well. I think so. Um, Patriot was talking about the serial killers. I guess we're kind of talking about the same thing, kind of ramped up there. The serial killers in the 70s, how the media removed their names and everything from 
coverage, and that was a self-modifying behavior. That's all we're asking them to do. I don't know if anybody wants to chime in on that one as we wrap up. Uh, G23 says, every school I can think of has a med kit in the nurse's office. Do schools need more? Absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, again, empowerment and, aware, and awareness and uh, enablement, right, are all good things for teachers. And if a teacher can't handle the sight of blood, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's possible to accommodate that, but that means that they're going to have to have some kind of a buddy teacher, right, that's like adjacent or something that can immediately run over because we're talking little tiny bodies that don't have a lot of stuff in them. And, you know, we don't want to get too morbid in all this thing, but if we are having a discussion about whether or not the media has anything to blame here, they never bring up the emergency response times. They'll, they'll bring it up with slight they'll they'll mention it but they never actually bring up any uh you know they'll use the numbers but they won't investigate where the numbers came from i want to say it that way but you know the the cause of the numbers and often it's the response to an atrocity and i don't know i guess we're getting into some darker stuff here but uh if we're talking about in general if we should bring up that the media spends so much time on the thing and in Know, offer them some alternatives. I don't know if we want to bring up all the morbid stuff uh, when it gets into, you know, they don't want to show, well, I don't want to get into morbid stuff either. So I'll end it there. So let's uh, say if you guys want to add anything to any of those last points. Otherwise, we'll go around the room, let y'all talk about whatever projects or whatever you might have coming up. And I'll thank everybody again and we'll wrap up. So anybody have any last points or do I brush over anything or talk over anybody you want to bring anything up? I'll take the silence as no, so we don't sit here too long awkwardly. But uh, thanks again to everybody. Uh, Jim, uh, thank you again for joining in and being uh, willing to deal with the austere conditions. Uh, thank you for uh, jumping in and offering your position. We, you've already kind of talked about FASTER. Is there anything that's coming up specifically for FASTER or for, um, well, Buckeye, did you talk? Am I getting it right? It's the Buckeye? Buckeye Farms Foundation. Yeah. And it's uh, we are working with uh, Cheryl Todd and David Laird and the Arizona Citizens Defense League and uh, getting a whole faster program spun up there in Arizona. Um, it, it's 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 the neatest thing I've ever been involved with. It's very cool. If you want to know more, go to FasterSavesLives.org or email me, Jim, at FasterSavesLives.org. Uh, we'll help you out on that stuff. And And I just have to thank you for going in a different direction. Like I said, like Albert Einstein said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. There's lots of other discussion today on the top of active killers. Um, and I am honored to be a part of yours that's not rehashing the same stuff, that's taking a step back. Let's let's look at this thing differently. Is there anything we can do better differently? And uh, I really commend you for for doing this show and and thanks for the honor of having me on oh well i really appreciate it this it wasn't like i took a stand this was i appreciate it. i'll take the credit but it, I, I saw this whenever i heard about this concept that the media had spent more on the coverage than um super bowl or something i went oh i need to read that and i finally found it last week and i posted it and i guess it's con coinciding with some stuff but i do agree with you a hundred percent um, and I'll, again, thank you, because if it was something I could have done deliberately, I definitely would have. Yeah. Um, there's a tetherball game or a back and forth ping pong game, and you have to decide to be part of that. 
and some people are willing to be part of that and it's necessary you know for some to some extent but at the same time we don't have to be um, spectators and worry about it constantly and have brochure what are they called the programs for the event and and do it on their terms that's the other side they, they always do the stuff on their terms they've got all the invest time invested in the media and the propaganda and everything that we want to call the the actual content ready to go they've got the infrastructure and we always have to react we always have to put down whatever it is we're doing so this was a deliberate attempt to bring people together on an off day for this concept of you know can we bring another angle to 2a but i appreciate uh, the the kind words uh mike you created gun tube i don't remember what year now at least 2017 or something maybe ago uh for a video hosting platform an alternative it's, it's been a while uh, yes not a uh, to copy YouTube, but a place for people who want to post their own projects to, to create them and you do uh, web hosting for people that do Second Amendment focused projects. Yes, I do. So you want to tell us what's coming up uh, uh, agenda? On, honestly, just just making sure everything runs. That's all I'm trying to I'm trying to keep uh, keep operation, honestly. There's nothing nothing new or exciting going on just yet. Right on. And then Smeggy jumping in from California. Thanks for joining. You had a great bunch of great points. Um, if I'm missing anybody, I apologize. Again, thanks everyone for joining us and being part of a live conversation. Tried to keep it uh, uh, consumable, but it's never easy when we actually want to, you know, elaborate on things, give people a chance to uh, make some positions, and then of course react to the live conversations out there. So thanks everybody who participated, and uh, thanks to the people that support uh, Faster Saves Lives, the Buckeye. Firearms Foundation. Is that right? And and GunTube and everything we do. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna eventually get that to where I'm clicking on this and saying all that at the same time, so there's not this awkward part. And here's Maggie ending the show. Thank you for supporting our projects. If you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee, check out our Patreon channel. The guys and gals at GunWebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year. Practice at least once a month and carry every day. Thank you for watching gunwebsites.com. Do 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 do.